everyone and welcome back to Raya Affairs. First things first, we took a little break to work on the future plans for this podcast, but we're back with a new series for you, Climate Leaders 101. In these next six episode series, we will be discussing reports on climate leaders around the world ahead of the COP27 with individuals ranging from Ethiopia to China and to international activists. Before I go really any further into this partnership and this new series, I wanted to introduce the co-host for this episode. Joining me today is Meryl, a project development intern at Raya and a recent international relations graduate from the Netherlands. So hi Meryl, would you mind telling our listeners what Raya is and what it does? Hi everyone, I'm Mero and welcome to the new episode of Raya Affairs. As always, to give you a brief overview, Raya is an international think tank led by young professionals that translate the abstract world of international affairs by simplifying rather than generalizing. Raya is where you can learn about the stories and worries of political leaders, the behind the scenes of decision makers, and how politics impacts and changes your life. This is Raya Affairs, filling you in wherever you are. All right, thanks, Meryl. That's our usual overview. But I'll go on to explain this new partnership. Over the next following weeks, we will be dedicating our episodes to, as I said, climate leaders in a collaboration between Raya, IE University School of Global and Public Affairs, and Ayuda en Acción. Under this umbrella, that's the EU Commission's initiative, One Planet for All. One Planet for All is really a project that seeks to promote participation of European youth in the fight against climate change. And that's what we're doing here. So yeah, over the summer break, six IE students underwent 10 weeks of RIA training, familiarizing themselves with the RIA methodology and just attending other research-related seminars. Their reports will be published on the RIA website. As always, we would also like to make it clear that the expressed opinions in this episode are welcome, even though they're not a direct reflection of Raya. Raya specializes in unbiased writing and analysis of international relations. And very quickly, if you missed it, the last episode before this series, we invited Raya writer Jack Gazdia to discuss Taiwanese leader Tsai Ing-wen and her economic policies as she attempts to consolidate power nationally and regionally. We got into the specifics of what drives her new southbound policy and the sovereignty challenges that she faces, along with other topics. This week, we'll be inaugurating our climate leaders, changing course from our normal podcast route as per se. To kick off this episode, we will be introducing IE student and Raya summer intern Quinn Din to tell us more about the United Arab Emirates' very own Mohammed bin Zayed. We will look into the motivations, pressure points, and impact this protestrate leader has when it comes to transitioning into a sustainable and environmentally advanced agenda. Marina, on to you. All right. So hi, Quinn, and welcome to Raya Affairs. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? So where you're from, what do you do, and what interested you to join the Raya and IE summer program? Hi, Meryl. Hi, Marina. I'm Quinn. I come from Vietnam, and currently I'm a second-year student studying law and international relations in IE University. Um, I decided to apply for the summer program because I want to hone my research and writing skills. And also, RIA is an excellent opportunity to figure out possible career options in international relations. And I'm glad I did it, being a part of this program. 
Okay, Quinn, that's perfect. Great to know as well that you've enjoyed this time. But now we move on to this little next question that we like to ask all our guests because we know they're very passionate about international relations as we are. And also because it's really fun to hear what guests come up with. So Quinn, what leader can be dead or alive who has impacted the world would you like to have a five minute conversation with if you could? Well, the first person who came to my mind is Xi Jinping, the leader of China's Communist Party. He is a controversial and influential leader who is creating a lot of changes to the geopolitics of Asia. However, little is known about him, so I guess five minutes of conversation with Xi would be interesting. All right, thank you, Quinn, for letting us know, and let's get into it. So, Quinn, for those of us who are unfamiliar with the topic today, could you give us some political background into Mohammed bin Zayed and the United Arab Emirates? So, Mohammed bin Zayed, uh, or from now on, I will address him as MBZ for short. He is the third son and one of the most favorite princes of Sheikh Zayed, the founding father of the UAE. MBZ spent a lot of time studying abroad in Morocco and in the UK. And after he finished his military academy in the UK, he came back to the UAE, took the leading role in the Emirati Air Force and was appointed the crown prince. And then his brother, Sheikh Khalifa, came to power. MBZ was gradually delegated with more tasks and more important positions in the country. For example, MBZ used to work as a chairman of Abu Dhabi Executive Council, which is the local executive authority of the Emirate of Abu Dhabi. And then in 2014, Sheikh Khalifa suffered a stroke and MBZ became the de facto ruler of Abu Dhabi. And he was officially appointed the president of the country this year after Sheikh Khalifa passed away. So over the past decade since he became the de facto ruler, MBZ has pulled off significant economic transformation for Abu Dhabi and he turned the UAE into a key commercial hub in the Middle East. Thank you, Quinn, for giving us this background knowledge. So from this information, are there any aspects or personal pressure points of Mohammed bin Zayed you believe have influenced his stance on climate change? So the conservation tradition of MBZ's family and the Islamic culture are important personal pressure points that affect his environmental agenda. So Sheikh Zayed, uh, MBZ's father, is known as a world conservationist who dedicated his lifetime to the sustainable development of the UAE and strongly advocated environmentally friendly practice. Maybe you heard about this before, that the UAE has an ambition of turning a desert into a green heaven, and that ambition was originally derived from Sheikh Zayed. And continue with Sheikh Khalifa, MZ's uh, brother. He even accelerated the environmental policies of uh, his uh, father, and he made sure that he always put environmental policy at the forefront of his governance. And we should not forget uh, the impact of the Islamic culture. So um, there are many teachings in Quran about how people should live in harmony with nature, how we uh, need to protect uh, the environment, and how we should conserve um, wildlife animals. Um, and in the Islamic culture, environmental protection is kind of an, um, a part of the Arab culture, is an identity of uh, MEZ's culture. 
So yeah, um, the tradition of conservation in his family and the Islamic culture, I would say, are important driving forces um, behind his climate agenda. All right, Quinn, so every leader has a defining moment in their political journey, whether it be a speech, an event, or an action plan, and it's a moment in which they change their political stance. What would you say was MBZ's defining moment that made him into a climate leader? I would say the Paris Agreement in 2016 is a milestone for um, MBZ's climate journey. So by uh, signing the Paris Agreement, he made the UAE the first Arab Gulf country to accept uh, the first ever universal legally binding climate deal. And the Paris Agreement is um, a legally binding treaty. The main goal is to limit global warming to well below 2 degrees and preferably 1.5 degrees compared with pre-industrial level. So that involves reaching carbon net zero by the middle east, by the middle of the country. And at that time when the Paris Agreement was first adopted, major oil producing countries, especially Saudi Arabia, strongly resisted the call to join the climate deal because um, the Paris Agreement is a major threat to, uh, to their source of revenue, which is oil production. And as a clo- close ally of Saudi Arabia, UAE is expected not to diverge from uh, its position. But the oil price crisis uh, in 2014 and 2016 is a huge wake-up call for MBZ because uh, at that time, the um, uh, the country witnessed the lowest oil prices ever, and it just heightened the need for economic diversification. And MBZ decided that, okay, he needs to take a bold action of ratifying the Paris Agreement against the will of Saudi Arabia. And that is a leadership move of MBZ because it urges other petrol states to reconsider their outlook on climate change. And after Saudi Arabia, no, I'm sorry, after the UAE joined the Paris Agreement, there is an increase of new net zero pledges from countries in the region, and um, yeah, especially Saudi Arabia, Iran, and Iraq. Um, we should note that uh, some people misunderstand that the UAE only start uh, their environmental policy after the Paris Agreement, but it is important to emphasize that environmental projects and economic diversification have been underway in the UAE for a long time. However, the clean energy transition and other environmental policies were only accelerated and stepped up by uh, MBZ after the Paris Agreement. It reaffirms to the world that MBZ sees climate action not only as a responsibility for the environment, but also an essential preparation for his country in a post-oil world, and hence it is a national priority for him. Thank you very much, Quinn, especially about the note that you make in which you compare the West's idea of climate action compared to MBZ's. And speaking of the 2015 Paris Agreement, we have seen that the European Union has been trying to stay at the forefront of climate agreements. But in turn, it has pressured countries to decrease their deforestation, whilst the member states themselves might not even reach their climate goals. So this affects the political legitimacy of the EU during those climate agreements. So how does the ratification by MBZ of the Paris Agreement increase his international political legitimacy and reputation? Well, the Paris Agreement is definitely a huge deal for MBZ because it's an ideal vehicle for him to gain more international credit and increase his influence in the region. 
Um, as the fourth Gulf state to commit to a national drive of net zero, MBZ and the UAE receive a lot of acclaim and positive reaction from international community for taking the initiative and setting an outstanding example for countries to follow. So, uh, for example, after the ratification, the president of COP26, Alok Sharma, he held the first net zero in the Gulf uh, region as a historical moment. And more importantly, uh, the Paris Agreement allows MBZ to gain more support from the West, especially the US. So by ratifying um, the Paris Accords, MBZ, MBZ shows to the world that he's trying to build a common understanding or a common institution with the West in fighting climate change. So he wants to be together with the West. He wants to be a part of the solution to the global challenge. So. Yeah, just to briefly summarize, the ratification obviously elevates his standing and distinguishes himself as a climate leader in the MENA, uh, which is still dominated by fossil fuels. And now, Quinn, this is really a big question on my mind. It's the why, you know. Why would the UAE become the forerunner in pushing forth an environmental agenda? Because one would assume, as you even said before, that transitioning goes against the leader's direct interests, you know, the UAE's interests. And the UAE was expected not to diverge from this resistance by Saudi Arabia to the Paris Agreement. So what examples can you give us, since you've spent so much time looking into this leader, in which MBZ has really shown contrary to this assumption? So MBZ wants to be uh, a forerunner in the climate field due to the huge stake that his country is facing from climate change. Uh, I would say oil depletion is one of the biggest issues for the country right now and also one of the biggest stakes for MBZ himself. MBZ is not ready to relinquish the powerful position of his country when the oil depletes. He still wants to be the major energy provider in a post-oil world, so that's the reason why he's hugely investing in the clean energy transition. And the oil depletion also affects uh, the country's wealth because you know that um, the UAE derives the majority of its revenue from oil production. So that's another reason why MBZ is focusing on economic diversification and environmental policy to create other sources of revenue for the country. And at the same time, the UAE is highly vulnerable to the effects of climate change, um, such as drought, higher sea level, less rainfall, and uh, especially a higher level of desertification. All of these effects, uh, coupled with the um, oil depletion, are threatening the long-term survival of the country. So, yeah, such huge stakes have been pushing MBZ to accelerate his environmental agenda and be the forerunner in the field. Yes, Quinn, this makes total sense. And I saw it while I was reading your report. I think you have in there um, a speech delivered by MBZ expressing his vision about the oil depletion in the future. And he kind of says something along the lines of that in 50 years, when the UAE has the last barrel of oil, um, the question is, will they be sad? And he says, really, no, if the UAE is investing today in the right sectors, he says that they'll celebrate that moment. So I think that's really a great example that shows contrary to what we've been assuming all along. Exactly, Marina. And it's very important to also look at this side of the coin. So, for example, with the OPEC, if you don't mind, I'll first tell our listeners a little bit about the organization of petroleum exporting countries. 
So currently, there are 15 members who try to manage the oil prices amongst each other. The UAE has one of the largest per capita oil reserves and can therefore influence the OPEC decision-making. So we wanted to ask you, Queen, how has the signing of the Paris Agreement in turn affected MBZ's reputation within the OPEC, if it has at all? So I would say that the Paris Agreement ratification doesn't undermine MBZ's position in OPEC at all. Quite on the contrary, it even encourages other countries in the organization to con- reconsider their climate outlook and join the climate deal. A clear example is Saudi Arabia and Iraq. Um, we need to clarify a bit uh, here. The influence of OPEC members within the organization depends on their level of oil reserves and production. For example, Saudi Arabia occupies one-third of the oil reserves, so it becomes a de facto ruler of the organization. And with a little bit smaller oil reserve, the UAE is uh, still a powerful member in the organization, and it is the third largest OPEC producer. So what I want to say is that the reputation of the UAE in OPEC mainly depends on their massive oil reserves and production. The, the Paris Agreement could only affect that position if it leads to a reduction um, in the oil uh, production of, of uh, MBZ in the country. But apparently this is not the case here because MBZ made it clear that switching off oil production is not an option right now for the country. And after joining the Paris Agreement, he still ramps up oil production and he is well aware that oil is still essential in the global energy mix until 2030 and even beyond that. And um, another thing we should make it clear here, the net zero goals only apply to the emission within the border, not to the crude oil exported or consumed outside the country. So what MEZ is trying to do here is to curb the emission within the UAE and at the same time continuing the business with oil export. And on the contrary, um, what I said before, the UAE joining the Paris Accords is an incentive for other countries in OPEC to reconsider their climate outlook And uh, eventually, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and Iran even joined the climate deal following the footsteps of the UAE. So um, I would say MEZ is still a powerful member in OPEC after signing the Paris Agreement. The latest example is in the dispute between uh, in OPEC last year in 2021. The UAE rejected Saudi Arabia's proposal and MEZ managed to block an agreement, created a deadlock, And I would say that only a member with a powerful voice could do that in OPEC. So moving on, you mentioned in your report four key environmental challenges, oil depletion, air pollution, desertification and wildlife conservation in the UAE, all of which MBZ has proposed policies for. I wish we could really go into detail for each one. However, I believe the bigger interest here is the UAE's transition into clean energy. As a state that produces almost 3 million barrels of petroleum and gas per day, what policy solutions has MBZ really proposed for this transition, including deadlines and financing? For the clean energy transition, MBZ mainly focuses on renewable energy and nuclear programs. So for renewables, he mainly focuses on uh, solar power generation. Right now, the EOE already has uh, three world's largest solar power plant, and he's currently pushing forward the Ardafra solar PV project, which is expected to be another world's largest solar plant, and it will be in full operation at the end of this year. Um, he real, but he realized that 
uh, renewable solely is not a solution to, to meet the energy security of the country in the future. So MBZ is pushing forward the nuclear programs because nuclear energy has higher power density than any other alternative sources and it will be the main source for non-hydrocarbon-based electricity in the country. At the heart of the nuclear program is the construction of the Baraka nuclear power plant. Um, it plays a central role in uh, all the nuclear projects of MBZ right now because uh, it is the first operational nuclear plant in the Gulf and upon completion, it will provide up to a quarter of the electricity to the UAE and up to 85% of electricity for Abu Dhabi. Uh, MBZ is setting a deadline, a target for himself by increasing the contribution of clean energy in the energy mix from 25% to 50% by the middle of the century. With the financing, um, most of the majority of the funds uh, is derived from Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, the Adnog, and the Mubadala Investment Company. All right, Quinn, thank you for that. That was actually exactly what we were looking for. And as we come to this end of this question segment, it's always important to evaluate a leader, but what they do, not what they promise and what they say only. So we know that MBZ and his government have really set these targets and made these declarations, but how much of this has actually happened? So MBZ is making uh, a lot of effort, a lot of uh, progress in, in the clean energy transition with the renewable energy and nuclear uh, projects. So the proportion of the renewable in the country jumped from 0.5% in 2015 to well over 3.5% in 2020 after he ratified the Paris Agreement. It is a seven times increase in the proportion of renewable energy. And he's currently pushing the construction of another world's largest solar power plant. It shows that MBZ is truly committed to increase the contribution of renewables in the energy mix. And regarding the nuclear energy, uh, the Baraka's Baraka nuclear power plant, which was started in 2012, has strictly followed the timeline and sometimes even ahead of the schedule. Right now, two out of four reactors are in full operation, and when the whole plants um, are in operation, it will provide up to 25% of electricity for the whole country. So we can see that MEZ's determination in diversifying the energy sources and advancing the first nuclear plant in the region. However, there's um, the compliance of MEZ with the Paris Accords uh, is severely criticized here because um, he's considered his assessed as not uh, consistent with the Paris Agreement to reduce the, uh, the global temperature increase to 0.5 degree. Recently, he initiated the construction of the coal power, power plant in the country, which is contradictory to the need uh, to phase out coal from electricity production to meet the net zero targets by 2050. So until now, the country is still heavily relying on fossil fuel and the majority of energy produced is still from oil and gas. And... Um, it is also criticized that there's a gap between the UAE government production of fossil fuel and the proposed global production level to meet the Paris Agreement temperature limits. Um, MBZ make it clear that switching off oil production is not an option for him uh, because of the rising fuel prices driven by the Ukraine war and uh, the clean energy transition. 
has to be a gradual process and it cannot be rushed. It connects me well to um, his idea about environmentalism. So for MBZ, environmentalism is to balance our fossil fuel production with other environmental projects as a part of the energy transition. So energy transition transition is not feasible without the hydrocarbon industry. This is totally the opposite with uh, the West idea of environmentalism, who believes that fossil fuel production must start declining immediately and steeply to be consistent with the Paris Agreement. So it means that uh, even after ratifying the Paris Agreement, the UAE net zero commitment doesn't signify a significant movement away from fossil fuel is still the backbone of the country in the UAE. And yeah, I would say the continued expansion of fossil fuel is a hindrance for MEZ to meet his climate goals um, yeah, and to comply with the Paris Agreement, despite all the renewables and nuclear projects he has pushing forward. Thank you, Quinn, so much for this broad overview of MBZ's targets and if he has accomplished them, especially regarding um, his expansion on the fossil fuels. So to kind of finish it off, it's imperative that we restate this trade-off that exists between energy security and climate change goals, much like you mentioned in your report. So from MBZ's perspective, the UAE cannot transition to net zero unless they continue to produce oil. And because the energy transition is not feasible without hydrocarbon industry, do you think it signifies a movement away uh, of the fight against climate change by MBZ? I I don't really think so. Um, I believe that combating climate change will always be on his agenda. Um, It's true that MBZ still continues to expand his oil production even after he signed the Paris Agreement, which definitely hampers the impact of his climate action to meet the net zero goal by the middle of this century. But as I mentioned before, MBZ has a different idea about environmentalism from the West. He believes in in the balancing out fossil fuel production with other environmental projects as a part of the energy, energy transition, and the West believes in an immediate decline and a steep decline of fossil fuel production to meet the Paris Agreement. But MBZ um, has a huge stake in combating climate change. So uh, the oil depletion and the climate change impacts uh, are currently threatening the revenue and the long-term survival of the country and coupled with the pressure from the international community. So yeah, I would say MBZ will continue with his combat against climate change. Thanks, Quinn, for those extra details. I have to finish off this segment, however, with quite a harsh question in which there's really no black or white answer. So, Quinn, point blank, is Mohammed bin Zayed a climate leader? What would be your overall assessment of his agenda with regards to clean energy transition? So the continued expansion of oil production in the UAE will hamper his climate action and his commitment to new net zero. And uh, it will also undermine his credibility as a climate leader in the international community. However, in the MENA region, where other petrol states are facing similar challenges, MEZ will still set himself and the UAE apart by his pioneering environmental efforts in the region. So. Just to summarize, MEZ's pioneering climate action have had a major influence in the Gulf region and it have consolidated his status as a regional climate leader with international aspiration. So on the regional level, MEZ is a climate leader, but it could be, it may be a bit controversial to call him an international climate leader here. 
All right. So thank you, Quinn, for these various insights into the environmental agenda of MBZ and the UAE. Now we'll continue with this little new segment that we've thought of in our podcast in which we would like to call Connecting the Dots. So our aim in this short segment is to really connect our climate leader at hand with a wider international relations topic, either it be development, human rights, foreign policy, security, among others. Again, we're really here to show how interconnected global politics is. While reading your report, Quinn, we came across the Renewable Energy Development Project instructed by MBZ. This project, the Baraka Nuclear Energy Plant, has been discussed internationally because of concerns of neighboring states regarding nuclear weapons and also the regional stability. Can we hence connect the dots between MBZ's re- goals of renewable energy and issues regarding security? So could you tell us more about the international reactions to MBZ's plan for the Baraka plant when he first initiated it? So kind of relating this nuclear energy plan, uh, the building of it, to the international security issues. The construction of the Baraga nuclear power plant is a landmark development for MBZ and the UAE because it's the, the first operational nuclear power plant in the Gulf region. However, it attracted severe criticism because it is considered a major threat to the stability of the Middle East, which is already volatile with a lot of conflicts going on. So Iran and Qatar, um, the two countries already have a strained relationship with the UAE, have been voicing its objection to the Baraka plant. The Qatar even sent a letter to in the International Atomic Energy Agency, IAEA, to express its grave concern over nuclear safety. And also at the same time, we have other nuclear energy specialists and environmental advocates from the Middle East and the West Uh, who object the construction of the Baraka power plant because they think it is a a potential environmental disaster like Chernobyl and it will be a contributing factor to a nuclear arms race between regional rivals. At the same time, we have um, Saudi Arabia and uh, the West, especially the US, have the full support for the Baraka power plant. Uh, MBS, MBS, the crown prince of um, Saudi Arabia, hailed the Baraka plant as a historical moment for the region, and the U.S. has been providing the legal framework for commerce in nuclear energy technology and uh, for the UAE, and also a lot of U.S. companies participate in the nuclear journey with MBZ by providing him with major components, instrumentation, and technical transfer. So the successful construction of the Baraka power plant until now shows that MBZ has been taking deliberate measures to reassure the international community, especially the US and the West, that okay, the Baraka nuclear power plant complies with the highest standard of nuclear safety and security, and there is no risk for nuclear proliferation. Thank you very much, Quinn, for explaining the concerns regarding the nuclear power plant on a regional and also on an international level. So it's very interesting to see how the responses are different and do not only relate to a security issue, such as it can become like a Chernobyl, but also more as in a political game, as such, you could say that the U.S. is not only in favor because they might not have a direct security problem, but also because of their dependence on the UAE oils.
Okay, Quinn, so as the podcast now really comes to an end, we wanted to thank you for being the first of the summer interns to come on here. Since the beginning of the process, everyone, Quinn has shown great dedication and expert analysis, questioning us on the questions that we wanted to ask and giving us some tips on the direction that we could take on for this discussion. It's more than fair to say that we've achieved what Raya's methodology and the One Planet for All initiative seeks, you know, a proper analysis into actors to really understand how choices, in this case, climate and environmental policies, come to be by promoting youth participation and knowledge. That's why we're all here. So to recap, we found how personal motivations such as MBZ's familial and religious background have really pushed his interest in pursuing environmental initiatives. This culminated in his ratification of the Paris Agreement, provoking really strong reactions of fellow oil-producing countries. It's here where we really saw a change in MBZ's attitude compared to the regional actors and where we were the most interested. Why does such a fossil fuel-reliant country have any interest in pushing forth climate change mitigation policies. And in attempts to answer these questions, as you all have seen, MBZ has been adamant about the UAE's transition to clean energy, most of all because he does not ignore the fact that oil will end. Lastly, Quinn really provided us with concrete examples of the UAE's accomplishments and gave us her final evaluation. MBZ is at a regional level the representation of what a climate leader is, yet his continued use of fossil fuel affects how this climate leader's status is internationally. So thank you once more, Quinn, for coming on to Raya Affairs. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Quinn, for being with us today. And for those of you who have enjoyed our discussion and want to read Quinn's report, click the link in the episode description or find her research on riagroup.org. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram, raya.now, for more updates on our Climate Leaders series. It was a pleasure hosting this episode with you today, Quinn. We're your co-hosts, Miro and Marina. Goodbye from us and thanks for tuning in. Have a great day in your sphere of influence.